Good morning and welcome. We're so glad that you're here today. We appreciate your presence. If you're visiting, we are very thankful that you're here. Got a great number and we appreciate so much your willingness to come and be our guest today if you're visiting. I do want to encourage you, we are having lunch immediately after our service this morning and we'd love to have you with us. We got plenty of food and we would love for you to stay and to be a part of that period of fellowship. I do want to mention very quickly that tonight our young folks, our young men are going to be leading our service. And we've got two speakers lined up, and we would love to have you come and be a part of that. I think Ben is one speaker. Who's the other one, Jared? Isaiah. Isaiah. So I know you'll want to be here for that. They'll do a great job, and the young men always do a great job. And we want to be here to encourage them in that. It's good to see Mildred Scott with us today. As Billy mentioned a moment ago, Mildred was baptized yesterday, and we're so grateful that she became a Christian, and we... Pray that God will bless her richly, and if you haven't had the opportunity to meet her, I would hope you would take that opportunity in a moment. One other thing I want to mention very quickly, and that is, it hit me this morning, Joey Dunning was on the Lord's table for the first time, and we're very proud of Joey. He just recently became a Christian, and it's great to see our young men involved in our services. We're very proud of them, and so as I saw him sitting there this morning, I thought about what a great day it is for him. And so we're proud of him. We're going to be looking at Psalm 127 in our study today, Psalm 127. I want to encourage you to look at Psalm 127 with me in just a moment. We're going to be looking at the entirety of this psalm. As we think about the theme, home is where the heart is. The home is intended to be a blessing. And there are a lot of folks in this world today whose home life is less than ideal. God wants us to have a heavenly home. In other words, God wants home to be paradise. There are some things that we can do, I think, to make our home life much, much better. When you look at Psalm 127, the psalmist here talks about the blessings of a godly home, the responsibilities that rest upon those of us who are parents. And so we're going to be looking at that in just a moment. I want to begin our study today by first of all talking about the supreme constructor of the home. Look with me if you would at verse 1. The psalmist said, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. There are really two possibilities when it comes to the home. First, there is the possibility of having a spiritual home. The other option would be to have what I would call a secular home. What God wants is us is for us to build our home on spiritual values. The psalmist here talks about the Lord laying the foundation, the one who builds the house. I think that in order for the home to be spiritual, to be what God intends, first it has to have the right founder. Secondly, it has to have the right foundation. Listen again to what the psalmist said, Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. 
Did you know that God is the author of the home? That God, many, many years ago, decreed that the home was to be a blessing to the human family. Back in Genesis chapter 1, the Bible tells us that God made man in his own image and in his own likeness. And God, having created man, placed him in the Garden of Eden. And God recognized that though everything he had made was good, according to verse 31 of chapter 1, God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. And so he said, I'll make and help meet for him. In other words, I will make a suitable companion for man. I'll make, I will make an answer to his needs. So the Bible tells us that God caused a deep sleep to come upon Adam. While in that deepened sleep, God extracted a rib from the side of Adam and made the woman. And then brought her to the man. Adam then said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken from the man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So God is the author of the home. And God wants to have a part in the founding of our homes. When we enter into the marital relationship, Jesus many years ago said that there are three parties involved. The husband, the wife, and the father. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 19, verse 6, he said, What therefore God has joined together, let not man put asunder. And so to enter into the marital relationship, understanding that undergirding that relationship is a sense of permanency and commitment. That God is the one who is binding this union together. So, in order to have a spiritual home, it has to have the right founder. Also, it has to have the right foundation. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 7 when Jesus talked about the wise and foolish builders? He talked about the wise builder. He said, built his house upon the rock. And he said, the rains descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house. And he said, it didn't fall. For it was founded upon the rock. I want to encourage us today to think about the importance of building our homes on the rock. That is, on the Lord. Let me tell you what. A lot of folks in our world today are suffering because they didn't build their home on the rock. And thus their home is on the rocks, if you know what I mean. And so to understand, you've got to have the right founder, and then you've got to have the right foundation. Now there is a second possibility. First, we talk about the home founded upon spiritual values, and then there is the home founded upon secular values. There are a couple of things here. There are a lot of homes today that have been framed by humanism. In other words, either consciously or unconsciously, God has not been a part of that union. You think about all of the people in our world today whose homes are suffering. And one of the reasons is because, again, whether consciously or unconsciously, they have excluded God from that union. Let me tell you what, when God is not a part of our lives, what happens? Chaos. There are people today that can give you first-hand testimony about how their marriage is suffering because God wasn't a part of it. 
There are people today that can tell you they're having trouble with their children because, again, God has not been included in that process. God is the designer of the home. As the designer, the originator, the author of, of the home, don't you think he knows what's best? Don't you think that the Father knows what's best? He does. But you see, there are a lot of people in our world today, they want to have a successful home. They want to have children that succeed and do well in life. Here's the problem. They forgot the divine recipe. They left God out of the equation. Whenever you take God and put Him into your life, let me tell you what, it's a success. It will bless your life. And so, again, a lot of, a lot of homes today faltering because it is a man-made home. No spiritual values. It lacks a divine founder. It lacks, it lacks a divine foundation. And so you think about homes that have been framed by humanism and fueled by hedonism. How many people do you know in our world today that will literally walk away from a marriage relationship because in their mind they're not satisfied with their mate? You see, God intends the home to be an intact unit. And the Bible tells us that we learn to love one another. As a matter of fact, Paul said to Titus that he was to instruct the aged men to teach the younger men to love their husbands, to love their wives. And then Paul would say to the husband, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. I would submit to you today that as a husband, if we genuinely loved our maid to the depth that Christ loved, the church, it would be an amazing relationship. We would have a home that would thrive in the eyes of God. There's a second thing I want to call your attention to. Look, if you would, first we think about the supreme constructor of the home, but note, if you would, the source of contentment in the home. Listen to him in verse 2. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. What's the psalmist talking about here? He talks about somebody who rises early in the morning and stays up into the wee hours of the night. Really what he's saying is, here's the picture of somebody who is burning the candle at both ends. You know anybody like that? There are a lot of folks in our world today, they are literally running from can to can. Can to can. They get up early in the morning, and they're on the go till the wee hours of the morning. They go to bed, get a couple of hours sleep, back up the next morning. Guess what? Doing it all over again. Did you know that there is a thief to contentment in the home? That there are a lot of folks that have been robbed of contentment in the home? Do you think God wants your home to be a center for happiness, success, and contentment? The answer is absolutely. Does God want you to be content in your home life? Yes. One of the reasons why people lack contentment in the home is because they fail to understand the source of contentment. There is the thief of contentment in the home. Well, what about this thief of contentment? Let me just suggest to you that one of the reasons why some of us are not content in our home life 
is because we are chasing prosperity. When I was growing up, we lived, we lived in a small house in Chattanooga. Matter of fact, my dad was a school teacher. My mom worked out of necessity. Quite frankly, we didn't have a lot of money. If you know anything about school teachers, you know they don't make a lot of money. So we didn't have that much, but here's what we did have. We had each other. I remember my mother telling me that one of her bosses on one occasion was talking to her and asking her about our financial situation because, again, we didn't have a lot. And she said, here's what she told him. She said, you know what? We don't have a lot, but we have each other. There are a lot of people in our world. It may be the case that you're here today and you lack contentment in your home life because you're chasing prosperity. Is it wrong to have a nice home? No. Is it wrong to have a nice automobile and to have nice clothes to wear and beautiful furniture, etc., to have the things in life that, that make life more comfortable? No. But there's a danger that lurks. That danger is that we're so busy chasing quote-unquote things, gadgets, and an assortment of other things that we forget about what's really important. And so we're constantly after that new car, that new house, that, that new furniture. We're looking for better clothes. We're looking for this and that and great vacations. We forget about, you know what? It's like a, a dog chasing his tail. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. A man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. There are a lot of people today, let me tell you what, in terms of money, in terms of their bank account, their stocks, their bonds, their land, their business activities, acquisitions, all of the things that we think will make us happy and bring us contentment, let me tell you what, they've got it all. But they don't have anything. Because, again, they're chasing prosperity. There are some folks, they work seven days a week. They work overtime every week. And they're like ships passing in the night at home. There's no content, there's no home life there. So, the thief of contentment in the home, one is a result of chasing prosperity. There's another reason, and that is sometimes we're chasing prominence. In other words, we want to be somebody, don't we? Is there anything wrong with wanting to make a name for ourselves? I don't think so. Solomon said a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. There's something to be said about having a good name. But how many folks in our world today have this idea that, you know what, if I could just be somebody, if somehow in the business world people knew about me, if I could have fame and fortune, then surely I would be happy. You remember Solomon? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, he became great. Nobody knew who Solomon was. As a matter of fact, the Bible says the queen of the south came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and she said, the half hasn't been told. Here's a guy that had prosperity, and he had prominence. Let me tell you another reason why we lack contentment in the home. is because we're chasing power. 
In other words, we want to be in control, don't we? Did you know that there are men and women in the business world today that would literally trade their souls for a little bit of power? To be, as we would say, the head of the food chain? To be at the top of the ladder? They want to be the one calling the shots. Do you remember what Jesus said many years ago, What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about somebody. They have power. They have prominence. They have prosperity. They've got all these things. Surely that would make me happy at home. I mean, surely because I'm well known in the community and because people know my children and because I've got all these things, I mean, you can't tell me that can't make me happy. You know what Solomon said? Solomon said in chapter 2 of the book of Ecclesiastes, in light of everything he had, here's what he said, I hated life. All I'm saying is, just because you have things, prosperity and prominence and power, doesn't necessarily equate to contentment in your home. There are people in our world today, you could go through a checklist, and in terms of prosperity, check that off, they have it. In terms of prominence, check that off, they have it. In terms of power, check it off, they have it. But you know what? They're miserable. There's this huge void. There's a vacuum in their lives. There's a vacuum in their home lives. They are burning the candle at both ends, and they're miserable. What I want you to understand is a better way of life. There's a better way to live your home life. So we talk about the thief of contentment in the home, but then what about the truth about contentment in the home? Please listen very carefully. Contentment in the home and in life is not necessarily where the world thinks it is. What I was talking about a moment ago, the thief of contentment in the home. You see, a lot of folks in the world, a lot of people in the church, they think the key to contentment in the home is prosperity, is prominence, is power, and all these other things. Do you know what Paul said in 1 Timothy chapter 6? Godliness with contentment is great gain. Listen to him. We brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. All he's saying is, look, you came into this world with nothing, not one thing, did you? And when you leave this world, guess what? You're leaving the same way you came into this world, with absolutely nothing. And so... Contentment. When Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, you know where he was? He was in a Roman prison. And the Bible tells us that here is Paul and he's writing to Christians in Philippi. And one of the reoccurring themes in that book is joy, rejoicing. Matter of fact, he would tell the saints in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. He would talk about enjoying the peace that passes all understanding. When we face worry and anxiety and difficulties in life, you know what he said to do? Pray. In nothing be anxious, but in everything with prayer and supplication and thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then he said, the peace of God, which surpasses all knowledge, shall guard your hearts and minds in Christ. Down in verse 11, here's what he said. I've learned in whatever state I am, therein to be content. A lot of people looking for contentment. A lot of people think that contentment is just a byproduct of life. Let me tell you what, you have to learn to be content. 
You've got to learn there's a better way. So when we talk about our home life and the theme, home is where the heart is. Many of you have the kind of home that so many people in the world today, they're craving. And when you look at your home life, you can say, you know what? There was a supreme constructor in my home. And you can say, there's a source of contentment in our home. And you might say, you know what? Maybe we don't have all these things. And maybe we're not well known. Maybe we live some obscure life and nobody knows who we are or what we are, anything like that. But you say, you know what? We have each other. And we have a relationship with the Lord that will transcend time. Now, there's a third thing I want you to see in our study. First, we think about the supreme constructor of the home. Secondly, the source of contentment in the home. And then thirdly, the splendor of children in the home. I want you to listen now to what the psalmist said. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is his reward. Look at verse 5. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. Let me just pause there for a minute. What's the attraction when it comes to children? Why did you have children? Why do you have children? There are a lot of folks in our world today, you know what they would say? My kids, they're a burden. And it's tough. But you know what? The flip side of that is there are a lot of folks that rather than seeing children as a burden, they see them as a blessing. There is something to be said about having somebody that is truly bone of your bones and flesh of your flesh. To have a child that is made in the image and the likeness of God and to think that there is this unique attachment to that little, that little boy, that little girl. When did you start loving your child? I can tell you when you started loving your child. When that baby was in the womb. Before you ever laid eyes on that little boy or little girl, you loved that baby. And when that baby would kick and thump around in his or her mama's belly, guess what? That brought you joy, didn't it? And you step back and you think, that's my baby. Children are intended to enrich our lives. They're intended to be an enjoyment in our lives. Listen again to what he said. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They're meant to become an endearment to us in life. Your child, no matter how old he or she is, you love that child, don't you? And the longer that child grows, you still love them. And it wouldn't matter if that child were 70 years old and you were still alive. Guess what? That's still your baby boy, your baby girl. Still your child, isn't it? And so there's this unique attachment to that baby. And so when I ask the question, what is the attachment of children? There's just something about wanting a child that will reciprocate that love and affection in the home. Nothing like it. Most of us as parents, we would willingly 
gladly lay down our lives for our children, wouldn't we? So, the attachment of children, the attraction to our children. Second thing, what's the aim? What's your aim? What are you aiming at when it comes to your children? Ultimately, the goal is success, isn't it? We want our children to succeed in life. More importantly, we want them to one day be in heaven, don't we? A couple of things here. First, in order for our children to be what they ought to be in the eyes of God, we have to put them in a position to go to heaven. I don't think there's any doubt. I mean, we could go through and take a survey today. Every single one of us as a parent would go on record as saying, you know what, I want my child to go to heaven. Why? Because we want what's best, don't we? Well, if we're going to make that happen, or if that's going to happen, you know what? You as a parent have to put them in position to go to heaven. What do I mean by that? You've got to lay a foundation. You remember what Paul said, and you fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I think, I think about the mother and grandmother of Timothy. Paul talked about the great faith that these women had and how that faith was passed down. Paul said, when I call to remembrance the genuine faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and he said, and I am persuaded is in you also. That did not happen by accident. Here is the mother and grandmother of Timothy, the young evangelist, and what were they doing? They were, putting him, they were putting him in position to be successful in life and to ultimately go to heaven. Over in chapter 15, or rather verse 15 of chapter 3, Paul said, speaking of Timothy, and that from a baby, in other words, from infancy, he said, you've known the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Can't you just see the mother and grandmother of Timothy? And here they are teaching and instructing, encouraging him, putting him in a position to be a faithful servant of God. If you want your children to be what they ought to be in the eyes of God, you've got to put them in position. That means you've got to take some time out of your busy life to lay a foundation in the home. You've got to spend time with them. You've got to love them. You've got to listen to them. You've got to lead them in the paths of righteousness. You've got to be an example before them. You have to be a leader, don't you? So you have to be, you have to be on guard when it comes to the world and make sure that the world doesn't filter into your lives or into the lives of your children, and you're trying your best to put them in a position. One of the ways you do that, you teach them at, the, at home. Another way you do that, you make sure they're in Bible study on Sunday morning, on Wednesday night. You make sure that they're a part of a rock-solid youth group, like here at Olive Branch. Be a part of something special. And then there's a second thing. We talk about putting them in position to go to heaven, but then we must point them toward heaven. I want you to listen now to what the psalmist said. 
Verse 3 again, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is His reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth. The picture here is that of a warrior, isn't it? And what the psalmist is talking about is, here's, here's a warrior, and he picks up that bow and then picks up that arrow. And he takes dead aim, doesn't he? He's got a target in mind. And he's going to look at that target and then release. A couple of things here. First, as a parent, you have to point them in that direction, don't you? Here's what Jesus said. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Paul said, speaking of Christ, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4, he said, When Christ, who is our life, in that same context, he said, set your affection, set your mind on things above and not on things on the earth. Philippians chapter 3, he said, our citizenship is in heaven. He said, there are some who are minding earthly things, but not so with us. We're looking toward heaven. As a parent, I want to encourage you to point your children in the direction of heaven. Now, here's something you need to think about before we close. Here's that warrior, and he picks up a bow, he's got an arrow, and he takes that bow and arrow, and he's pointing at a target. That arrow is not going to stay in his hand very long, is it? He's going to release it. He's pointing to the target, and then he's going to let go. And that arrow is headed for his target. One day, you'll have to let go as a parent. As we say, you'll cut the apron string, won't you? Now here's the question. Will you have done your job so well that that arrow hits its intended target? Could I say to you, I don't know of anything more heartbreaking than to think about a child who's not properly guided, who has no direction. When we talk about putting our children in position to go to heaven, look, that's on us. And we've got to point the way toward heaven, that's on us. Ultimately, they're going to stand on their own two feet. But we've got to direct them in such a way so that when it's all said and done, we have given them a body of information so that they know right from wrong, they know the difference between truth and error, and they'll make wise decisions. One day, they'll fly solo. So, God have a lot to say about the home? Yes, He does. Is home where the heart is? Yes. Some of you today have a home made in heaven. Some maybe not so. But I want you to know this, if you'll take this book, which we call the Bible, and you'll try your best to live it, to activate its principles in your lives, I promise you, God will bless you. Blessings are upon those who do His Word. That's what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount. So, if you're here today, maybe you've got a family, maybe you've never obeyed the gospel, I want to encourage you to come to Christ, believing that Jesus is the divine Son of God. Jesus said, except you believe that I'm He, you'll die in your sins. If you believe Him to be the Son of God and you would willingly repent, in other words, give up a life of sin, 
confess his name before others, be buried with him in baptism, the Bible assures us that you will enjoy forgiveness, Acts 2.38. God will then put you in his body, the church, Acts 2.47. If you'll be faithful until death, you'll have a home in heaven. Look, many of us probably have a lot of thoughts about heaven. But one of the real joys in thinking about heaven is to recognize that there's coming a day when we'll all be together. No more separations, no more heartaches, no more sorrows. We'll all be together. Mamas and daddies that have been faithful to God, they'll be together. Mamas and daddies and their children, they'll be together. Grandparents and their children, great-grandchildren, etc., they'll be together. Well, how's that happen? Following the Lord. Living for Him day in and day out. If you're here today and you're not what you ought to be as a child of God, would you be willing to come home? God will abundantly pardon 1 John 1, 9 as we stand and sing.